passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. You want to smack down. 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 Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. It's John Pollock here, alongside Wei Ting. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. All right. Good. Good stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Big show tonight. This one or? Every show. Every show we do is a big one. But yeah, man. of course. Huge. What was up with the last three minutes of SmackDown? I was just uh, telling you what's what's in store for Friday, really. It felt like they they were not ready for that promo to end when it ended. We just had to do like three minutes of fill. Could be, yeah. Well, that's what it felt like. How was your Tuesday? Was it good? Was it productive? Was it uh, any different than most Tuesdays? It was productive. Yeah, it was good. Got up, did some stretching. Oh. Um. Went to a cafe, uh, did some work. Um, what kind of stretching were you doing? Are you in a, any physical pain? No, no, no. Just, you know, just some regular type of like yoga type of stuff. Just for, for maintenance, yeah. I read this thing today, and I don't know how bullshit this study is, that uh, there there was a survey done, and they conducted it on something like 8,400 people. That state that if you drink more than 25 cups of coffee a day, it doesn't do any kind of damage to your heart. Jeez, really? Wow. Yeah. I, I would want to know the test subjects that would be willing to have that many coffees per day. Because, you know, I, I can be sometimes excessive with coffee, but that's just, that's, that's a whole different world. Do they specify the size of these cups? No, and that's the thing. I'm sure it could be like thimbles. Like if you get a large, like when I have uh, asked before, like when I've had a checkup before, like a a large coffee you would get at Tim Hortons is probably equivalent to what they define as like three coffees. So put that into perspective. E- even given that 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 leniency and that math, twenty five is a pretty high number to hit. Yeah, I mean, unless you're talking like you know, really tiny cups. Like imagine like, to- like like toy shot glasses. Sure, yeah, something like that. Um, well, uh, then go nuts, go nuts, man. Why hold? Why hold back? Drink as much coffee as you need. It's every, every so often you you see a study like this, but then there will be a study that will contradict it. I would lo- I would love someone to do a study on studies. 
because it seems like there's a study for anything you want the world to tell you that you can find it. Um, pretty much. I, I ate KFC every day, and I my cholesterol levels went down. Um, yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of that stuff. Um, I guess in the end, you just kind of have to go by maybe what you believe in, because there are going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, contradictory information out there. So, what do you want? How many coffees do you need a day? I, I'm going to be someone that, when I look at the big picture of things, I am not going to punish myself on a daily basis for with the hope that I'm going to get two or three years on the back end. I'm willing to sacrifice some of those later years in order to enjoy my day-to-day life. And I think I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I don't smoke. I don't do any kind of drugs. I eat, pr- I eat pretty good. If I have a vice, it probably is coffee. That's, that's about it. So in the grand scheme of things, having a few coffees each day, guilty. I will accept my punishment. Yeah, it's it totally fine. Come down. Yes. I mean, I think many people have the same type of, uh, you know, outlook with regards to cigarettes or, I don't know, maybe harder drugs, like whatever. Do whatever well, you want, everybody. That's that's the saying. You're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? That's it's not my some life. People, yeah, that's uh, everyone. Everyone can live their life if you're not harming somebody else. And you know, you should uh, uh, by all means take care of yourself, but don't go crazy because that stress will probably take years off your life as well. So I don't know how we got to this. We're a very we're a very zen podcast here. When me and Wei are very much in sync, I think, with our line of living. Second City, Wei. Sunday, August the 11th. What are you going to be doing that day at 1 o'clock p.m. at the John Candy Box Theater? Well, I'm going to go up on stage probably with a coffee. Um, I'm guessing it'll be my first of the day. I think I'll, I'm, I'll be working my way towards 25 that very day. But I will be on stage at the John Candy Box Theater with you talking <laughs> I can't wait. I can't believe Wei will get one coffee, but it will last him hours and hours and hours. It's it's quite the remarkable endurance that he has. I will probably be on my second or third by the time it is one o'clock that day. Given the fact that you and I may be waking up at five thirty in the morning to watch a, the the B block finals that morning. I'm not doing that. Oh, okay. Are you kidding me? Well, I might be doing that. So. Uh, maybe right. I'll, Knock I'll harass WH Park to uh, to do that with me. Um, yeah, that'll be way so too long is, with that and SummerSlam. Ooh, not that's a long day. That's a long weekend, as as I've said many times. We're gonna have to figure that one out. Uh, but yes, we will be there live and in living color on Sunday, August the 11th. Postwrestling.com forward slash live tickets are available now. I don't think they're gonna last very long. I'm gonna make a bold prediction that. This is going to sell very well. So I'm hoping that we get to see many of our friends there and meet some new ones as well. So tickets are $25. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, which you have no excuse not to be at this point, you get $5 off. Yeah. So if you're going to pay full price, just sign up for the cafe and you essentially get all of our bonus content, including the full archives for $1. Canadian. It's an amazing deal. It's it's we're pretty much just giving you. 
giving you our hard-earned work on Man, a silver platter. I feel like it'd be um, like, you know, SummerSlam being in Toronto is a great excuse, I think, for a lot of Americans to show up. And I've been hearing from a lot of our American friends who are going to make the trek because the dollar is what, like 75 cents? Oh, yeah. We're, uh, let's see this here. 75 cents. So basically, Man. you're just... That's- that's terrible for us. Every American on a minimum wage is, is is coming in as a millionaire practically. So there you go. Your 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 US dollar is going to ride you a, a lot further up here north of the border. So SummerSlam could not come soon enough for for wrestling fans uh that are close to Canada. Yeah, it's going to be a very busy weekend. Lots lots of options. Uh we hope you uh set aside some time to come check out our show. It was a lot of fun in New York and we're going to do it all again here in Toronto. So go check all that out. Postwrestling.com slash live. That is where you have all the information and the link to go buy tickets this minute. We'll even wait while you go buy tickets and then come back. And then we'll probably be just getting ready to talk about Lars Sullivan. And yes, there is a transcription of that memorable promo from tonight. Are we waiting? Okay. They've probably bought the tickets by now. Very quick, especially if you have uh, your credit card saved in your uh, in your computer. I'm sure it's been purchased. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, shows this week. Wednesday. It's going to be a very busy day. We've got – what do we have on tap on Wednesday? We're going to be putting up the, the Jeff Merrick interview from our own heart documentary. That's going to be up on the Post Wrestling Cafe. Then Wednesday night, it's the double shot. You're you're going to be overdosed. Forget twenty five coffees a day. We're we're giving you, we're giving you way more. That's going to just uh, extend your life with all that we're giving you. Wednesday night's the double shot. Way and I are going to be reviewing the best of the Super Juniors finals, which uh, the entire card was released right after we finished on Monday night, and it looks like a really great show. I think this is going to be really really strong card. Uh, in addition to. Uh, the big three matches that we knew going into it. Uh, some really fun tags here. I mean, your opener, you have Dragon Lee, Teton, and Shota Umino against Bandito, Jonathan Gresham, and Ren Narita. I'm down. Cool. Are you going to be watching the whole show? I'm going to try to, yes. Wednesday is a very, very tricky day for me, but I think I figured out Wednesday. That's that's the next. That's if post-wrestling does a 24 you should follow me around. I'm mostly boring most days, but Wednesday, that is the day where you'd be amazed by how I get stuff done. Okay. Sure. Uh, then on Thursday, we've got the Cafe Hangout, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Damien Abraham will be stopping by. We're going to chat about the latest edition of The Wrestlers, which is entitled Japan's Finest Wrestlers, and it's a big focus on the stardom organization uh, with features on... Mayu Iwatani, Rossi Ogawa, Jungle Kiona. Uh, I think that this is one of the better episodes of the season. And certainly, if you're a stardom fan, I think a more in-depth look than you've probably ever seen of the promotion. If you're if you're an English-speaking viewer that uh, more so just knows the characters and watches their matches, this is quite, especially Mayu Iwatani, who I think a lot of people are going to come away with learning a lot about in this episode. Yeah, I just rewatched it today. I think it might be my favorite episode. So if you have Vice Slam, that's up tomorrow at 10 p.m. Eastern. And they have been putting the episodes up for free on Viceland.com a day later. 
Cool. So you can check that out. Oh, and we'll sorry chat. if you're in America. Oh, of course. Of course. Canada. Fuck you. Oh, got the dollar and the wrestlers. <laughs> what the fuck? Man, what do we got up here? Nothing. Uh, so we'll, we'll chat with Damien. If you're a Double Double Ice Cap or Espresso member, you can watch that show live 3 p.m. Eastern time every Thursday. And we'll also be taking your calls. Up next with Davey and Braden will also be out on Thursday. We move to Friday. That's going to be our Super Showdown review right after Crown Jewel. We're going to be up live. No, no, no. Uh, Super Showdown. What did I say? Right after Crown Jewel. Oh, sorry. Let's let's distinguish. Uh, Super Showdown is going down on Friday. And we'll be joined after that show by uh, Kareem Zidane. Uh, who writes for a number of outlets, including BloodyElbow.com and Will Cooling from Fighting Spirit Magazine and his own podcast at PWTorch.com. They're going to be stopping by to chat about uh, kind of the larger issues involved with this deal, how the WWE uh, kind of fits into all of this. Uh, So we will be discussing that. And I also want to make time to take calls after that show with people's thoughts uh, beyond just uh, the show itself. You're welcome to chat about the show, uh, but also your, your impressions of just... What this show means and and what kind of – as a fan, how do you feel about this show when it comes around twice a year? So that's going down on Friday. Saturday. Saturday and Sunday we'll have new episodes of Cruel Summer hosted by WH Park. On Saturday he's going to be joined by Damon McDonald from the Super J cast and Sunday by Mavs Gillis. They're going to be chatting uh, 1993 and 1994, the finals of the G1 Climax and then your weekend is not complete without the UFC 238 post show and then a Dominion post show Sunday night for patrons. I did all of that way without anything in front of me. That was all off the top of my head. Wow. That's amazing. I'm, good I'm job. so good. I'm amazing. A lot of shows. Go check them out. Postwrestling.com. Postwrestlingcafe.com. Are you ready to chat a bit of news before we get to SmackDown? Way? Or do you want to st- just, just tell me where to go. I'm all set. I think news sounds good. Better news right now. Well, on Tuesday, we got the uh, official word from Eli Drake, Sean Ricker, that he is now a free agent. He announced that after four years with Impact Wrestling, some ups, some down, I would like to thank them for the overall great experience. I think he's rounding up there. Through those years, I had the fortune of carrying three different title belts, having my own talk show, and was always given the trust to craft my own promos virtually from day one. I appreciate, I like that wording, virtually from day one. That means like, ah, there was a bit of a a rough patch at the beginning before they finally gave me uh, my freedom. I appreciate the chance that was taken on me and the trust I was given, as well as the friends and experiences I gained along the way. I wish Impact nothing but continued success and growth going forward. Today, I am, in capital letters, officially, small case, uh, uppercase, free agent, Eli Drake. Hmm. What do you... where, where do you think is a, a fit for this guy? Because I think he is a phenomenal talker, and that's uh, an interesting skill set. Um, I, I don't think this is someone that, that you look at as you know your your top flight worker, but in terms of a talker, uh, I think he's got a great look, and I, I think he's a really great promo. So I'm curious where he ends up. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, you know, I, as far as somebody who. Um... I don't, I don't, I rarely hear the name Eli Drake, you know, when people talk about uh, up and coming names or names that are generating quite a bit of buzz. So perhaps, um, you know, this impact run, I think has shown that he, he is definitely very capable on the microphone, but uh, I, I wouldn't say necessarily at a level where every company seems to be clamoring for him. That said though, I think he's shown enough to like, 
be be just one of those people who I think if given a, a bigger stage, if given more opportunity, he stands to potentially really impress. So I can certainly see a lot of people wanting to take a look at him, whether it be a Ring of Honor or uh, MLW, AEW, perhaps, you know, maybe. I mean, he he's like an older MJF, really. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, MJF is very young. And, now, you know, how old is Eli Drake? I want to say he's... Uh... Let's just check to be sure. He's probably listening. Don't want to. Uh, Thirty-six. Wanna Thirty-six. So that's um, you know, it's it's up there, but not uh, you know, you still have years there. You know, I could certainly. It would not surprise me at all if WWE was interested in this guy. I think that that would not stun me at all. I could also see him kind of fitting into a role like a Nick Aldis did if he went the NWA route, because I think that would be true. Um. I think that would be an interesting fit for him. He mm-hmm. has a history with David Lagana and and with Billy Corgan as well. So that that would be one that you know, not knowing anything, would be something I, I w- wouldn't be stunned by at all for him to go that direction. And that's also their their video content really lends itself to his strengths. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, honestly, it feels like even you know for somebody like Eli Drake, a lot of options out there. I think there are for him. Yeah, I think. Um, I'm sure he is. He is not going to be, um, you know, clamoring uh, for dates anywhere. I'm thinking he'll be in pre- pretty good demand coming out of this deal. It's so. it's a it's a nice little way to kind of refresh yourself. You know, announcing that you're a free agent is a way to just kind of tell the world, hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking to make a change. And and I feel like people who do that often tend to like come out for the better. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also, will be interesting if he, because Impact made a big deal about this when Demore and Callis came in that they were going to allow their talent to leave with their with their names with their intellectual property if he in fact continues as Eli Drake. I would imagine so. I, I would think like that's kind of how it was explained by Impact a year and a half ago that their talent would be able to to leave and have their names with them. So the only uh, way where I wouldn't see that happening is if he did sign with the WWE and maybe, you know, them want, wanted to change the name, but I can't see him changing it for any other reason. Oh, you know, I wasn't even going to talk about that, but let's, let's go through the new names. Yeah. In NXT. Cause these are, these are always fun. I, I, I always say that I, I don't really get bent out of shape over new names because you eventually just get used to them, but these are some interesting ones. So Trevor Lee, has now been rechristened Cameron Grimes. Jesse Alaban is now Jesse Camilla. Uh, Adrian Jaoud is Arturo Huas. Uh, Luke Menzies, who is the rugby player. <laughs> this one's great. Ridge Holland. Ridge Holland. Ridge Holland. And then, this is a, like a potato chip. Ridge Holland. No salt. Uh... Eric Bugenhagen. How you can have Eric Bugenhagen and say that name isn't going to fly? That's like that. That's like Ricky Steamboat. That if you look at it, man, the guy's name is Richard Blood, <laughs> and was like, no, he he needs a different name. Eric Bugenhagen is now Rick Buges. Way worse. Rick, I, I don't even know how you pronounce this last name. B-U-G-E-Z. Bouguez is my guess. Buggies. I hope it sounds better, and I hope I'm mispronouncing Bouguez. Maybe it's Boogs. <laughs> For the most part, I would say of that list, I, I think the majority of them are, are 
are lateral shifts, or in yes. some cases, I think even ones you'll get used to after one time on television. Yeah, I mean, Cameron Grimes is awfully kind of generic and uh, forgettable. In fairness, so is Trevor Lee. Trevor yes. Lee is a generic name. Well, too, so. that said, though, I, I already know Trevor Lee. Though he's built true, up Trevor true. Lee. Why? Yes. Why the need to change it? Cameron Grimes, I mean, whatever. I'm not sure. If he's going to get over, he's going to get over regardless. It's not so bad. But Eric Bugenhagen, I thought that name was perfect for the type of character that he was. Uh, it was just fun to say. Yes. Um, what is it now? Rick Bugez? Rick, Buge- Rick, Rick Bugez. You don't want to start off, believe me, everybody, because I speak from personal experience. You don't want to start <laughs> off... <laughs> Your introduction to a mass audience with a name that people just don't know how to pronounce or how to properly spell. Just, it's a, it's a world of hurt that awaits you. Um, not to say Bugenhagen was that easy anyway, but it's just, it sticks in your head. Once you hear it once, it's easy. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Those are your, uh, your, your brand new names uh, reporting to NXT at a time in the near future. Uh what else do we got here? The raw number. This was a, an interesting one given their their hard push for Brock Lesnar and the cash in. So they did 2,405,000 viewers. So on the surface, uh, a 10% increase from last week. So that's good. Um, that said, um, it was an interesting pattern. They started off in the first hour with just over 2.3 million viewers. Then in the second hour, 2,558,000 viewers and then they fell in the third hour uh, by 8%, uh, right around the same amount they did in the first hour. Although this is a rare time, the f- hour one was the lowest of the three. So this pattern, it clearly said that people were there to see this cash in. And then afterwards, they kind of tuned out in the third hour. Although the third hour didn't fall off a cliff. It was kind of the, that same first hour audience stuck around for the whole show. But yeah, it looks like the Brock tees. I mean, it did captivate people for, for that peak in the second hour i guess you could use that word i mean yeah and and felt pissed probably afterwards and you know as as much as people look at the 10 percent increase this is still lower than two weeks ago when they were going against an nba playoff game they did not have uh that competition on monday night so i think this is a fine number it's better than a decrease but i, I don't think this was um a home run or anything no, in I, fact, it was lower than I thought it would be. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking back to to my reaction coming out of the show, and I just I don't care how many percentage that they might have increased that show. If anybody felt the same way I did, even a, a tenth of what I felt, um, I can't see that as a win at all. You know, again, you could just advertise like the most wildest shit, and if you don't deliver by the end. You're just hurting your audience. So is it really worth that conversion? Yeah, I think that you may have left a lot of bad will among people that did get fooled by the WWE. Uh, that, man, they pre- they played that up so hard over the weekend with the promos they put up, the mailer they sent out on Monday afternoon. I mean, they really hit you over the head. And yeah, it'll be... Uh, and they're going to get really hit next week. If there wasn't... Um, people upset about the bait and switch. I mean, going against the NBA game next week, I I think they're going to be way down next week. So that was the raw number. 
And uh, just a, an MMA note here. Dana White was on SportsCenter confirming the fight that everyone is expecting for September at UFC, 240, uh, UFC 242 with Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier for the UFC lightweight title. And in a separate story, uh, Khabib's manager spoke to ESPN's Mark Ramondi and said that Nurmagomedov has signed a new multi-fight deal with the UFC with a very interesting clause that if George St. Pierre ever comes out of retirement, he has to fight Khabib. And that sounds like a really weird clause to be able to put in one person's contract. Wait, um, it's a clause in Khabib's contract? In Khabib's contract, not in George's contract, in <laughs> Khabib's contract. It sounds, I, like, it sounds like a wrestling <laughs> stipulation. It sounds, yes, it totally sounds like a pro wrestling contract. And I don't know, George is... Uh, he is represented by from some very smart people that I, I don't know if I, I think that is the fight George would ultimately want if he ever came back. But I don't know if he's going to be uh, pressured into taking this one and only fight if he were to want to come back. But anyway, that's what allegedly is in his new contract. Very interesting. I mean, th- I, I can only imagine the types of negotiations that would have taken place for them to add that specific Oh, yeah, 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 sure. George will fight you. No problem. Sign here. Um, I did want to chat a bit about the John Moxley interview with Wade Keller. Do you want to do that after the SmackDown review? I think we could, we can do it now. I mean, okay. it seems seems a bit more pressing than the show. Way there was a lot, a lot on this episode of SmackDown. I mean, we had a title change. We had um, two of them. Lions. We had Spears. Oh my! There was lots on on this episode. I'm just stalling as I pull up my notes here. So John Moxley was on uh, with Wade Keller at uh, PWTorch.com. You can go listen. This was broken up into two parts and follows up on the talk is Jericho interview. And Keller explains right off the bat that he's going under the impression that everyone has heard that interview. So he didn't really want to rehash a whole lot that was covered in the Jericho podcast and more so um, – going with the impression everyone's heard that stuff. So I, I think that was a smart way to approach this. Did you find any significant differences between the two interviews in terms of Moxley's demeanor? Uh, if you felt he was more open in one than the other, or was this largely just a continuation of talk is Jericho? I think very much a continuation, but you know, I will say for the one with Jericho felt like it was him building up a lot in, on his mind that he wanted to get out. This was more Wade kind of, you know, um, Pulling it out of him, like it felt like it was a Moxley that was a bit more relaxed, but you know, obviously would become a bit more agitated with the, uh, uh, you know, as soon as like Wade started to jog his memory. But um, I found it very similar. Uh, it's also on the phone, and that yeah. that kind of takes away. I mean, it's always if you can do it in person, I think it's always better. But that's not always an option, mm-hmm. which Jericho did get to do. Uh, I, I guess like the biggest stuff, um, uh, j- just looking here, you know, a lot of it was about the promos and this was also done after Double or Nothing, which the Jericho one was done prior. So he was able to talk about his experience there. I mean, at one point he called it the greatest moment of his career uh, coming out in Las Vegas and, and getting that response and then going to the back and doing three different promo segments in the span of 10 minutes and said he got to do more in those 10 minutes than he did in his last six months in WWE and just as though he would, you know, he had made it out and wow, here's how stuff should be done. And that was a a large theme of this particular interview, getting to see things done. Like you're almost, you know, 
uh, brainwashed into believing that this stuff has to be more complex than it is and then seeing it done in this kind of fashion yeah. uh, it just seems like this this was a lifeline that this man desperately needed in his career the three specific uh segments i think he was referring to was you know for one the the solo promo that he did that went out online the one about uh paradigm shift that one uh also the the smoking bit with janella and then uh, evidently the uh, the thing that they showed showed on BTE this week with the Bucks trying to fist with him and Dean refusing to. So you know all three. I think I remember them like all definitely very memorable. So um, I definitely agree that this was a, an improvement probably over anything he's been doing on Raw. I do get the sense though he might be kind of oversimplifying what this is going to be like in the weeks ahead, especially when AEW gets proper television coming out. And also, I'm very curious to see what how AEW will be producing their TV. Is it going to be this kind of off-the-cuff and simple every single week? Or are they going to have more elements of pre-production involved? Um, but, you know, nonetheless... Like, the thing is, too, WWE does do this stuff, but it's all relegated to their online stuff. Like, on their .com stuff, they just have a guy coming out with, with the camera afterwards, asking him questions, and then having the, the crew improvise. So this is really not that different, except... With AEW, I feel like they there's a lot more importance on what's online because that's all you're getting. Um, so, I'm again, I'm very curious to see when they do produce a weekly television show, how much kind of leeway they're going to get. Yeah, you know he was he was careful not to throw all the writers under the bus. I think he has this philosophical idea that you know he says their jobs should not exist it should be performers that you either can cut promos or you can't but that that's not the situation and i think that he's i think he's been very careful to kind of analyze the system that is in place rather than the individual writers i'm sure many that he did have you know good to moderate relationships with that you know they're kind of just collateral damage in his complaints mm-hmm. uh he talked uh you know, he did mention about people that are happy in WWE, specifically noting R-Truth. You give him anything, he is happy all the time to do whatever is asked of him. And that certainly comes through. I think that this is a guy oh, yeah. that just makes work whatever is thrown at him. And the kind of stuff that Ambrose would get nauseous over, I think this guy thrives with, with the goofier the better. I will make any of it work, and he does. Absolutely. You know, I think we, we can kind of lament this 24-7 title all we want, but... We can't. Disagree. It's on the best person. It's yeah. it, it's been great for Truth because it's been giving him airtime. It's been putting him in the minds of his audience when he's not even on TV through their online stuff. So it's great for him. Um, but if you're Dean Ambrose, you're not gonna. What we want to see is, of course, variety and making sure that if you can, you it's great to have all the comedy that you want, but you need to be able to do the serious stuff well too. And that seems to be part of his frustration. Uh, he talked a bit about the Mick Foley program that got cut off when they ruled that Foley would not be able to do any more matches and was actually uh, happy that, that that occurred because he realized that had he gone into the system on his own at that time, uh, it wouldn't be him and Foley just out there cutting promos on each other. It, he would have realized, he wouldn't have been in the shield and he would have been out there doing those scripted promos that he feels you know, ultimately, it wouldn't have been the, the dream program he thought it was. Uh, he mentioned how much Reigns hated the suffering succotash line and just says how everyone loves Roman. He's got natural charisma, but they just never allow him to show it. Uh, but he did. He really did not want to speak 
on behalf of Roman Reigns. He would talk about his own issues, but he really didn't want to bring uh, Roman and, and his issues into the middle of this, just kind of deferring, saying that you would have to talk to him about any specific questions that, that he had. Uh, he mentioned a bit about the end of SummerSlam last year, that it was supposed to end with The Shield stopping Braun Strowman from cashing in uh, after Lesnar and Roman Reigns had their match, and it got canceled at 6 p.m. that night when uh, Lesnar disagreed with the idea and no one challenged Lesnar. So instead, uh, they did what they did, and that was the initial idea for SummerSlam. And that goes into probably the meat of the interview, which was his recollections of the feud with Brock Lesnar in 2016 going into WrestleMania, which he noted was not the original plan. It was going to be Ambrose and Chris Jericho that year. And if you remember, Jericho ended up working with AJ Styles. And then Lesnar was going to work with Bray Wyatt, who actually did not get a match at WrestleMania. So he appeared to be odd man out, uh, although he did appear on the show. So he just felt that there was... Really no effort put into his angle with Lesnar. It was uh, Ambrose felt like he worked his way to get this coveted match, but they were never really serious about the match. He had to do a lot of comedy stuff with Terry Funk and Mick Foley on TV that he said as uh, going into goofball city and just felt like Lesnar, he was pitching all these ideas, wasn't getting much in return from Lesnar and just felt that his match was not a priority, and he was willing to kill himself in this match. He threw out all these ideas. He wanted to have an idea where he would start attacking guys with heel hooks and play off of Frank Mir and how he beat uh, Brock Lesnar at UFC 81 in his first UFC fight. Uh, They could film stuff in Las Vegas, maybe even get Mir involved. He pitched the elbow finish, which they ultimately used for Randy Orton later that year. All of this stuff was thrown out, and he was not able to get it. He was trying to get thumbtacks approved, and it was just, everything was a struggle. And we get to WrestleMania. Lesnar arrives at the building at 3 p.m. The show starts at 5. Ambrose is looking at this as the most important match of his life and said Lesnar did not care, and they started talking about the match during the second match of the night. And he remembers watching Shane and Taker being so envious because they were out there trying to steal the show and felt that we just mailed it in. And one final idea he had was that he could mace Brock at the beginning of the match so that he'd be blinded. But it was too late in the show to be able to make it look convincing with, a, with I guess, fake mace. So that was a missed opportunity. And he laments that he just wished he worked with Chris Jericho instead at that year's WrestleMania. Yeah, listening to him kind of talk about it all, you really do feel his frustrations. And I mean, I listen to it and I kind of wonder what is the difference between somebody like Dean Ambrose and perhaps somebody like an AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, where clearly Brock Lesnar seems a bit more motivated and inspired to actually do things. Um, is it is it the style? Is it... Well, let's also remember at this time... Brock probably knows he's going into a fight camp soon and that he's doing that fight with Mark Hunt in July is all of his efforts in this match and going out and doing granted Ambrose like pretty much just handed himself over like kill me for 10 minutes. It wasn't going to be necessarily a physical match for Brock Lesnar, but you know, it really comes across as like he doesn't really have a lot bad to say about Lesnar, but just felt like he was not motivated for this match. And that was a bit I remember interviewing Ambrose a week before that match, and he was like, you could tell this was a big deal for him, and he had a lot of ideas. And watching that match, 
I was expecting to see something like a career match for Dean Ambrose after talking to him and being very, very disappointed with that match. And he obviously was as well. So whatever reason, Lesnar was checked out. And I think everyone believed that that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, he addressed the Austin podcast. Um, that was brought up. I found this part interesting. And, you know, he, it just seems like he felt that, you know, Steve was asking him questions that he could not answer honestly, given that they were on the WWE network and felt that Steve was really simplifying things by you guys need to just go off script and that that's not as easy as uh, easy as, you know, just snapping your fingers and you go off script. And he felt that he had to kind of defend his generation against the likes of Steve Austin, who had been critical and just Steve kind of like put him off early and just. He essentially says, I did not want to be there, but I'd be willing to do another podcast with him now. And that, you know, when when you look back at Dean Ambrose's moments in WWE, there were a number of high points, but there were a lot of low points, too. And I think that podcast is one people continually circle back to. Yeah, um, it it almost seemed pivotal uh, in, in, in some ways, because um, I, I remember perhaps perception changing about Dean Ambrose slightly as far as, you know, him being a top guy to lead a company uh, based on, I think, how he came across in that interview, which is a shame considering, you know, what 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 come, came out right here, him talking about how difficult it was to be put in that position. He also mentioned he was really upset at a producer who, um, you know, promised him that he wouldn't bring up any type of family, personal childhood stuff, yet they went there anyway. So he says he just kind of mentally shut down and just didn't want to do the interview. And... I mean, that's a shitty situation to be put in on live television. So hopefully he gets another chance to talk to Steve. I mean, from from our, our, my understanding, they seem very friendly with one another. And uh, I'm sure this time around, it'll be a very different interview. Yeah, it could be. And, and you wonder what would have been the reaction had Ambrose kind of defended himself and just kind of gone he off. He wouldn't here. have looked good. I think he was in that tough spot. He's the WWE champion. He doesn't want to uh, embarrass his position. Um, but at the same time, what he ended up doing, I think, really kind of diminished him to a, a lot of people in their eyes as well. That here was a guy who was just – he just came across as a guy that didn't care. And I, I think that he didn't do himself any favors with what he ultimately decided to do in that interview that had a lot of focus on it. I don't know if there really was a proper solution, especially in the heat of the moment like that. You know, uh, but it, it, it's in the past. It, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I'm sure they will do another podcast again and probably uh, revisit all of this. Um, says he was not nervous before his double or nothing review uh, debut, but was nervous watching it back. And he's always nervous because he hoped that it would live up to his memory of it. And he loved watching this back. He thought it was the best moment of his career. Loved Jim Ross's call of his entrance into the arena. And he's asked if he'll be with new Japan after the summer. He says, I know if I will or not, but I'm not going to reveal that one. And says he's not that tells you everything you need to know. I, I think everyone kind of assumes that this is going to be a, uh, a short-term visit in New Japan. Um, oh, you think the, so? I thought I thought I took it to mean the opposite. Oh, I think that he's probably committed to AEW in the fall, and I don't know how realistic well, it's going to be. Just, well, I guess he can't really say it, but okay. If well, you're doing weekly, if you're doing weekly TV, and no, I think no, no, it, not not necessarily that, but what about the G1? Oh, well, I'm saying after the summer. Hmm. Okay. 
Okay. His question was after the summer. I think G1 is a very real possibility. Uh, right. But beyond that, I think it's going to be tough if he's if he's like full-time with AEW doing weekly TV. But right. who knows? It Obviously, um, we'll, we'll see how this, how this goes and how much this guy, uh, what his options are after this summer. Uh, he's not very high on social media. He says he is now using it for outgoing information. I don't know about you. I found this to be my favorite the, part of the uh, This guy, he really like there was a light that like shone into my into my my world hearing him talk about this. He is only being used for outgoing information and he says that when you give someone your phone number, that's a sacred thing because you are allowing this person the ability to reach you at any time in the day. They can text you, they can call you. When you go on Twitter, you're giving your phone number to the entire world. And he says that, you know what? I have never woken up and said to myself, you know whose opinion I want to hear today? Everyone in the goddamn world. <laughs> and th- I think this guy, he's, he's got a, a genius. A ver- he's got a very smart head on his shoulders when it comes to social media. And it's interesting because he sees, I feel, the, the negative impact it has because we go back to two or three weeks ago when Renee Young goes on Twitter and just says that, you know, I'm usually a pretty cool person, but then I go online and I just feel miserable after. I need to take a break from this. So I'm sure he sees it firsthand of the negative impact that this this tool can have on someone's everyday life. And I, I think that there is a lot of weight you can you can place upon that. And I, I kind of envy this position to be able to just say, I don't need this and can completely turn it off. I know. I think about it all the time. To be honest, and um, I'm trying to think, you know, with our work, like we kind of have to be up up uh, on all on everything that's really going on, including what's what wrestlers are saying each other to each other on social media. But just it's getting tougher and tougher. And mentally, I think it's just it's it's often more harmful than good. Maybe I should go a week. I'm just going to phone people instead of going on Twitter. That'll take a lot of time. I know it'd take way longer. Yeah, but I think he's on to something here. Um, and then Wade, I thought he had some very insightful questions at the like it, it's a really good interview. But I thought in terms of the business questions, uh, some very pointed ones at the end, specifically about the WWE Network and how the payoffs have worked. And Dean really didn't know either. And he said that there was this large pool of money and he he only uh, if you look at the timeline, he gets called up with Rollins and Reigns uh, November 2012, and then the network launches February 2014. So he says that he got up there right at the end, but he did have a year on pay-per-view where he was a featured performer, uh, and he says that his numbers did not change much once the network started. So uh, that's promising, but again, it's kind of uh, very much discretionary. And I also wonder you know, how, how different is it for somebody like a Dean Ambrose and – I don't know, Titus O'Neil. Well, again, if you're not on those shows, um, yeah, you're okay. well, you, you um, wouldn't have been on the regular pay-per-views to begin with. But yeah, it's it, yeah, how much are true. the ones are, are the the perceived um, top guys taken care of? You want to take care of those guys. What are even like the middle of the pack guys? Like what are what are their differences where they're yeah. not necessarily the, that at that top level? It was like sort of like, you know, while like we kind of have Dean Ambrose as like this great resource now of somebody who's just been recently out of the system, it seems like he's an open book to kind of answer questions about almost everything, at least for this week. 
Um, so Wade definitely seemed to take full advantage. Oh, yeah. He said this is his last interview talking about WWE, which uh, we shall see. Um, and then his his final discussion point was on the house show model that he feels is dated. He says we deserve a percentage of the television money, which bravo. I'm so happy to hear someone talk about it. Granted, I mean, he's someone that's no longer with the company, but um, I'm certain he is not the only one that thinks that way. Uh, but it's rare that you're going to hear guys talk about it that are there. He says the house show schedule is brutal. It's way harder than it needs to be. People are getting hurt. They are exhausted from traveling all the time. And then you have to get into the ring when you're going on fumes and brought up uh, a house show loop where you had guys like Seth Rollins and females like Becky Lynch that are out there a week before WrestleMania in Pikeville, Kentucky, and asking how much money are we making on the this house show to mortgage our WrestleMania main eventers one week before the show and says that it's just some of the loops just make no sense. He called it stupid and that they deserve higher downside guarantees, which it sounds like guys and women are getting now. Um, And they also deserve a percentage of the television money, which I mean, you can maybe make an argument that some of these higher downsides are coming from that television money, but they are not getting a clear, hey, you, the talent is earmarked. 5% of our television money. That does not exist. So that to me is, I feel like this generation of performers are going to look back when they are in their 50s and 60s and look at the amount of money that the company was making that they had no share of. um, And in a world without collective bargaining, that's the unfortunate reality. And that goes for UFC fighters as well, where you're talking about a huge pool of money that the fighters or wrestlers are not getting any percentage of. Certainly, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, it's it's a system where they don't really have much power to change that. The only kind of real shining light of, of hope in all this is that there's increased competition now. Somebody like Dean Ambrose jumping to the competition to uh, uh, work for them, hopefully under a different system, um, seems to be. The and and will change. we see that if, if AEW were to land a, a big money yeah. paying deal, our talent going to be figured into that? Great question. Yeah, great question. I think we can all look at it with such, you know, hopeful eyes right now, but it it really kind of remains to be seen how they will handle similar scenarios. Like, that's one of the interesting aspects of the setup of All Elite Wrestling is the fact that Cody, the Bucks, and Kenny Omega, yes, they are vice presidents, but they did not get an ownership stake in the company. And I am certain that that was something they must have wanted they'd be crazy not to absolutely yeah at the same time you know you have tony khan in interviews talking all the time about uh wanting to create you know uh good standards of living for their performers so a a topic like this i imagine is is something that they're they would have to kind of address and make some clear changes with all right, so uh, definitely I recommend the interview if you enjoyed the Talk is Jericho interview. Uh, PWTorch.com. Uh, I thought Wade Keller did a really great job interviewing mm-hmm. uh, John Moxley. So it's about, it's about two hours um, it split up into two parts. So you can go uh, check that entire one out. And I wonder if John Moxley is going to be doing any interviews uh, for, the, for the time being. He felt like at the end of this, he was like, all right, I need a break. I think the man needs his own podcast. What's what's the New Japan scrum going to be like? Oh, that'll be interesting. I look forward yeah. to that, to seeing him, you know, cut a promo. It's a really big match for him. By the time people are listening to this, it may be over. But that's 
Um, there's show doesn't a start ton- till five thirty. I imagine five thirty a.m. Yeah, I imagine he won't go on till at least like eight thirty. You're right. Yeah, some people might might be listening to this after. Not everyone keeps your hours away. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the match. I'm looking forward to the post match. I mean, just to see him in that crowd in that system, I think will be quite jarring. And I I'm really excited for Juice Robinson. This is his biggest match ever. Um, yeah, and I'm very curious to see what style. John Moxley will wrestle versus how Dean Ambrose wrestled under the WWE. Do, do you see a, a spike this week for New Japan World subscribers? And do you like do you do you see Moxley being uh, someone that? Because I sense there's a lot of interest in seeing this first match from him outside of WWE. I think so too, but I have to say I feel like a lot of that kind of buzz that would have probably been there a year ago seems to have been somewhat dampened by. AEW and Double or Nothing, which, you know, I think still seems to be the talk. Like, even in all these John Moxley interviews, it feels like he's there to represent AEW and talk about AEW rather than, you know, um, New Japan World. So if you're somebody who by this point hasn't paid money for New Japan World, is something like this going to convince you to, to jump onto a new system? I'm not so sure, um, but... I could be completely wrong because, yeah, he is a big deal. Jericho coming up uh, on the weekend, I think, is a big deal as well. But if I have to be to be honest, I'm not hearing as much buzz about that Jericho match as I think I would have expected. Yeah, I could, I could see them maybe doing an angle on Wednesday's show, mm-hmm. whether yeah, it's an interview, what, whether it's even a run-in or, or something. Um yeah, I, I do feel Dominion is going to be a really big show, but it's almost like with the best of the Super Juniors and now everyone's focused on this show that it's – I think on Thursday, people are going to look at that lineup and be like, this is a really big show. So I think you have to do something big on Wednesday to kind of hit home the the key matches for, for Sunday. All right. We are now going to move over to SmackDown from – where were we on Tuesday? Laredo, Texas. Yeah. Started off with uh, – Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods coming out along with pancakes and Kingston talked about his trip going back to the Republic of Ghana and how crazy life is. And they threw to this tremendous video package. Kofi Kingston looked like the biggest star in the world. Uh, This was reminiscent of when Bret Hart went overseas when he was WWF champion and he just felt like the biggest star in the world. Uh, I think these kinds of, of, Video packages, they just make your talent look like so big. And yeah. like you had you had the the president of the Republic of Ghana oh. speaking on behalf of Kingston and what he is, how he is representing them, all of these kids and adults. He uh, this was just a fantastic uh, video package that really made you feel like this. This guy is your your world champion, your representative around the world. I definitely felt those same Brett vibes. Except this time, it's even, it's an even bigger deal because Kofi is from Ghana. He's one of their own who's representing them on a world stage. It really puts into perspective how significant this title run is. More than just what we see on a week-to-week basis as wrestling fans, it means a whole lot more. He's not just any other wrestler. He's a symbol and a voice for an unrepresented demographic. So... I, it, 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 you know, not only does it make Kofi look like a huge star, it also makes the WWE title look like a real valuable commodity. It means far more on Kofi Kingston than it means on somebody like Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles or 
Dean Ambrose or Jinder Mahal or any of those guys. Like on Kofi Kingston, it represents something far more significant than I think just your typical wrestling champion. Uh, the crowd is chanting for him after this video airs. He talked about getting to see his cousins. He got to hug his grandmother uh, for the first time since going home, which I mean, he had not been back there in 26 years. And as he's talking about his grandmother, Dolph Ziggler interrupts. And we're back to the, the WWE fantasy world. He says that Kofi is an inspiration. But this isn't about you. This is about the way I am. And we go to the first of many Dolph Ziggler video packages here. He was very busy over the past week. His first is a retrospective historical piece voiced by himself featuring his great moments, winning money in the bank, being the sole survivor at the Survivor Series, cashing in on Alberto Del Rio. And we come back and he says, I've done all of this for you, but got nothing in return. Which I think kind of fell flat because we just watched a clip of this guy winning the title. It's like you, you kind of were in the spot. Trying to think what, what, you know, what do you think he meant? Nothing in return. No. In story, it's he's looking at Kofi was the one that got this big oh. title win at WrestleMania. It's like, well, you you did win the title. It's not like you did nothing. Uh, that was a long time ago. You've kind of been forgotten since. Ziggler says he gave everything to the people. He gave his soul. And in turn, Kofi got a WrestleMania moment. It should have been me. And people are one day going to realize he's the hero in the story. Kingston responds and says Ziggler has had a great career. In fact, you beat me to become the Intercontinental Champion. You beat me to become the United States Champion. I got passed over a lot too around here, dude. And then Kingston has his own footage. He knew Dolph would show up, and he had this clip on standby. December of 2017, Dolph Ziggler in the ring, vacating the United States title and walking out. And they come back, and the crowd starts chanting, you fucked up at Dolph. I'm really curious to know, like, from what whiteboard they picked up this loose end from. Of Dolph Ziggler dropping the, the U.S. title. So, an angle that was not followed upon at all. He no, just he came up. back in the Royal Rumble a few yeah. weeks later. Showed up in the Rumble uh, like nothing had happened. So I guess this somewhat ties it up. You know, maybe they were thinking that far back. Oh, someday Kofi Kingston's going to win this and Dolph's going to need another reason to challenge him. Well, we'll, we'll just uh, make him. I don't know. Guys, he'll vacate the title. He's going to be Kofi's post-WrestleMania opponent. They're like, okay, okay. So like... Three months from now, we're going with Kofi? No, 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 no. Next year's WrestleMania <laughs> in, in fucking June. Yeah, all so, part of a grand plan. The 18-month um, payoff. But the reason itself, I I really did enjoy. I, I thought it was a great callback to something that, at the time, really mean not, meant nothing. Um, but it, it felt like a great hero's logic, you know? Uh, I, I'm all for digging up stuff from the past that can assist you in your story. I'm always a fan of them using stuff that's more than a week ago that that happened like stuff does matter even if it didn't at the time i felt like it was sort of like a missing piece of this feud that great gave it a, a whole lot more depth than i think what what just existed you know you had some really interesting promos from dolph um talking about how he's been the one who's been neglected it should have been me it should have been me well here's kofi saying it could have been you but you gave up 
you would rather complain and give up, whereas I was treated very much the same way, but I just did my best every single time I went out there. I, I thought it was a great way to make Kofi look heroic. I thought it made Dolph, you know, obviously look like a heel because he was wrong in his logic. So I thought, actually, this was very sound and very good. And that's how he ends it. He says, if it should have been you, it would have been you. And as long as I'm champion, it will never be you. Which is a good a good close by Kofi. And then Ziggler points to the screen for, I swear to God, another video package of <laughs> his attack on Kofi. And we come back for him to say, Friday, it will be me. Yeah, maybe a little overboard with some of these video packages. Um, I like Kofi in this. I think this would be much more sound with Kevin Owens uh, on the other end of this. Ziggler has just, he has not been able to, you, you read this and there's a story there and I get it. Um, but because it's Ziggler, I can't quite get into this. But I, I thought this was a really good segment for Kofi Kingston in particular from the from the, the, the footage in Ghana all throughout the his rebuttal to Dolph as well. I agree. I agree. I think the build was better than the Owens build. Unfortunately, the person in the match, his stock is just so, so low right now in Dolph Ziggler. So, you know, I have to say maybe for a three-week angle, they did pretty well. But it, again, it's it's a matchup that you're only going to get so many people interested in. And then out came Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And Kevin Owens uh, exchanged his words. And I, I I'm pretty good at reading lips. It sounded a lot like... Buddy, you know, in all of this, it literally should have been me. <laughs> <laughs> so Kofi and Woods took on Owens and Zayn. Uh, Sami Zayn, our first wild card is in effect candidate. Uh, Owens stomped down Kofi. Uh, Kingston went for his diving trust fall and nearly missed Owens. And this looks like a very dangerous spot if you are almost overshooting your opponent. He really gets up there. Definitely can be. I mean, it's a spectacular move of his, but um, it's kind of like one bad like catch away from doing some serious damage. They The heels got the advantage on Xavier Woods, went through the break. Hot tag is made to Kofi. He hit the boom drop onto Zayn, was setting up for the trouble in paradise. When Owens grabbed his foot, Zayn was uh, taken out by Xavier Woods. And then, or sorry, Owens was taken out by Woods on the floor. And then Kofi adjusted, hit the trouble in paradise, pinned Sami Zayn. And that was that. That was a fine match. You know, it was okay. It was I, okay. I think Owens... And Zayn at this point are probably better off just being paired together in a tag team or something. Um, it, it felt apparent from this week on TV that they don't really have any plans to continue with Zayn and his character or any of that electric chair stuff. Um, oh, yeah, the electric chair. I totally forgot about that. Where was the follow-up? Well, I guess the first week was such a success they just had to retire it and go out on, a, on top. But looks like, It looks like Chris Jericho uh, stole it. Dustin Rhodes is going to be in it on Wednesday. What? It's the gimmick to get to get them to tell the truth. He had Moxley on last week and Dustin Rhodes on his oh. podcast. That's that's the electric chair segment. Okay, sure. Yes. Maybe Owens and Zayn can be given a flashlight and they can go find the tag team champions on either show. I think they're probably a few months away from potentially trying to capture that 24-7 title. Ooh. Wow. 
Um, I don't know. I just see nothing for these two. And, and you know, unless a, as a tag team, th- there's some potential, but it all depends on whether or not they choose to push them. Like they're both kind of in a position now where they really have nowhere else to go. They came back and I, their comebacks were just, you know, I guess Owens, Owens, Owens was so unfortunate yeah. because man, they, they had a big idea for him. It's not like the company made the wrong decision with Kofi, but it was just Owens was just lost in the shuffle and he hasn't been able to remember that response. Both of these guys got in Montreal that week and it felt like, okay, this is getting both on track, especially Owens, who they saved for the the final night uh, on SmackDown. And, you know, in all of this, we know they're not going to Saudi Arabia. They're not figured into the show on Friday. You hope that these guys are figured into something once this show is over, but I feel in three weeks I'm going to laugh at that statement. But, man, these these guys have a ton of talent, and it just seems like they cannot catch a break. Mm-hmm. Ziggler returns again, super kicks Kofi, reminds us that the match is on Friday. Shane was backstage, cut a promo. They replayed his attack on Roman Reigns. He says, Roman, anything you can do, I can do better. Wasn't that the old uh, Nike ad with uh, Mia Hamm? Uh, sure. I mean, it's it's a song um, from like Annie or something or so, one of those things. He asks if Roman will be the big dog tonight or the little pup when he calls Roman out. Then we had the moment of bliss. I swear to God, I had no idea this woman was on Raw until the announcers pointed it out. <laughs> it's It's beyond a joke at this point. And she calls Raw the superior brand to hear the lifeless booze. It was it was like 10% of the audience knew that was our line that we're supposed to boo because we're on SmackDown. But it had no passion in it at all. It was very sad. She, yeah. She welcomed out Bailey. Bailey came out. And Alexa's upset with the coffee she has and has the assistant switch the coffee. And then she tells the assistant to go get her other mug. And we're supposed to wait. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the coffee stuff, I think, is uh, just not necessarily connecting all that well with the audience. Um, trust me, coffee's coffee can be a great device, but um, uh, I don't know how much of this audience is really latching on. Yeah, she's really trying to milk it for all it's worth. Um, she mentioned when she cashed in Money in the Bank, and the title meant way more when she had it than Bailey did. This prompts Carmella to come out, another Money in the Bank winner in the past, and all of them want the next title shot at Bailey. Charlotte comes out. She says she spoke to Shane McMahon. There's going to be a match to determine who faces Bailey at stomping grounds. And then Bailey interrupted and said, Charlotte, there's a pay-per-view on Friday. Why are we going to wait two more weeks? <laughs> and then Carmella is backstage after the break, finds our truth He is searching for Shane. And Carmella's phone rings. Truth says, well, I've been using your phone, and now Shane is calling you to talk to me. And R-Truth gets on the phone, tells Shane that this title is ruining his life, and apologizes for ruining his appreciation night. And Shane tells him he's being put in a proper match and runs to the ring because his opponent is on the way. And then... There is a stipulation that Carmella is alerted to, but our truth has already left. So we have to wait until the break is over to find out what is the stipulation that Shane has put on the 24-7 title match. Yeah. 
just to go back to the uh, moment of bliss segment. I oh sure. I feel like uh you know they they tried to have Bailey here again continue to act a bit more aggressive by slapping the coffee out of Alexa's hand. This is not something the old hugger Bailey would do. Um, it's clear that their vision for Bailey as a babyface is to give her somewhat of a bean streak, similar to what they did for Becky. But I feel like with Bailey and what they've been doing so far, it just feels a little bit forced because it only comes in spurts that just aren't sustained. Like she here, she slapped the coffee out of Alexa's hand. I think after that, she needed to keep that fire. She needs needed to destroy the set, needed to lay Alexa out before stomping her way to the back. Here, she did that small thing and then just kind of stood there with like a goofy smile on her face as like the procession of blondes just just happened to come out. And I just don't know. You know, at the end of all this, several weeks into Bailey's run as champion now, I just con- continue to see her as, as a as a as a bit of an afterthought. Maybe maybe Bailey should have gone to the back and said, "I'll bring your coffee out for you." And Alexa is all flattered, hands her the coffee, and then Alexa has an awful match. And she loses, and she's stumbling all over the place. And then Bailey reveals the secret ingredient in the coffee. Usiha. Bailey's. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> see, that, that'd be a wonderful program. Where were we here? We went back and forth. Uh, Elias is in the ring, and we've got a lumberjack match. I love this. We, had, we came back from break. R-Truth and Elias are in the ring, and all these people are surrounded the ring, and the announcers are asking, well, what type of match is this? And then we, are, we learned, oh, it's a lumberjack match. Phew. I thought it was a steel cage match for a second. So this barely starts. It ends with Truth being thrown to the floor. He gets stomped by the lumberjacks, and Phillips mentions that most of these guys are going to be in the battle royal. Can't wait. He sent it to the ring, and Elias pins him in 26 seconds. So Elias is now a two-time 24-7 champion. The Lumberjacks surround Elias. They all fight, and Elias escapes. He's crawling on the floor, and he meets R-Truth, who is also crawling. They go underneath the ring, and out of nowhere, you hear a three-count, and Truth emerges from underneath the ring, holding up the title that he has won back from Elias. And he left. Mm Mm-hmm. They released video of this afterwards, um, of what exactly happened underneath the ring. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got to see, like, uh, R-Truth find Elias underneath there. And there's actually a steel chair underneath the ring. So Elias took, or sorry, uh, R-Truth basically shoved Elias's head into the steel chair, which knocked him out for the one, two, three. Um, I like that. I like that they're, you know, uh, kind of like showing half the match essentially online. I thought it kind of worked well. Um, they're trying new ideas. It's, it's, uh, it's just something for our truth and everybody else, you know, it's something for Drake Maverick as well. He continues to do something pretty creative. Like today he posted a video where he took Drew Gulak's old no fly zone picket sign. And instead he flipped the the sign around and, and used it as a, have you seen our truth type of thing? It's cute. It's, again, not for everybody. It's a lot more, I would say, PG-oriented. Um, but somebody likes it. Somebody somebody might get, might get enjoyment out of it. We are in the back with Alistair Black. Maybe that's what the segment should be called. He said he offered what is tantamount 
to an open challenge, and either cowardice or intelligence have kept people from knocking at his door. He's not a hard man to find. The lettering on his door reads Alistair Black. So now I really want to see this mysterious dark room with smoke coming out of it that just travels from arena to arena that he just sits in all day long. I don't know if it's uh, really mysterious. He probably just gets there, looks for an empty room, and then just like puts a smoke machine in there and turns off the lights. It's just like a broom closet. He says his track record speaks for itself, and what he inflicts, it isn't exactly your daddy's WWE. But until the time anybody knocks on his door, he will be sitting here waiting impatiently until anyone decides to be a man and picks a fight with me. So this dude's just like chilling until somebody wants to fight him. Yeah, I think he he looks kind of dumb coming out of this. Like, I, I would say like, I think his, let me just say, I think his promo style is really cool. You got to see a slight evolution of it here where he got a bit more screamy and angry. I think he's good. Uh, but I think it all kind of makes him look rather heelish. And that could be in the intent here. But, you know, I'm watching this and I'm asking, why wouldn't you just go pick a fight with somebody? Instead, you're going to come to the building every single week, lock yourself in this dark room, and just basically sit there for hours hoping somebody will knock. It's so sad. It's almost, I almost feel it's going to end with our truth trying to escape everyone and running into this room. So Alistair Black could be 24-7 champion. I hope not. But man, just watching these segments back to back, that's the first thing I thought of. It honestly just kind of screams to me that, hey, like we don't have a match coming up for Alistair Black with Crown, crown uh, whatever, uh, Super crown, Showdown. Crown Showdown. Crown Showdown. Uh, but we still want to keep him on TV. So let's come up with new ways to prolong this darkroom promo. At some point, I just feel like it's you're, you might be better off just not doing anything with him or just have the dude come out and just kick jobbers, like just kill jobbers. And I think that would do a whole lot more. I, I'm a, I just to me, it's a little too much now at this point. And also like him or whoever his writers are just like <sighs> substituting like big words for words that I think could just be. So, like, what, what was his first line here? I offered what is tantamount to an open challenge. Please, dude. Like, you sound like you sound like the 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 guy in like tenth grade walking around with an espresso, like, and a book. Oh man, I I think it's a bit much. Shane McMahon came out with the revival. Greg Hamilton did his intro, and then we had quite the CM Punk chant that died quickly and they replayed the attack on Roman Reigns with the spear and Shane cut a promo comparing Roman to training a dog you have to discipline it you have to put it in the corner and show it who's boss which he literally and figuratively is and with Roman he is a high spirited dog so you have to do more so on Friday he's going to snip snip neuter the big dog (laughs) he is going to neuter him way i know a lot of ball talk this week man it was it was uh they've they've found a way to reach the youth i guess um balls reigns comes out the revival runs up the ramp they get 
beaten up by Reigns and hit with Superman punches. He stares down Shane. There's no one left in his path. He walks down the ramp and boom, he gets hit with the wild card in full effect. Drew McIntyre hits him with the Claymore and once again, his attack on Shane is thwarted. He's brought in. They hold him up. Shane does another one of his goofy spears with the pose. I I really like Shane in these. I think they've they've built up this program really well. They keep you just want to see Reigns get his hands on this guy. And I think Shane has been awesome as this obnoxious heel. I, I have no issue with this feud so far. I think Shane's been really good. Yeah, I think he's been fun. I think he's uh he's been good. Um I don't like it for Drew McIntyre. I don't think it really elevates him at all. I think it if anything, it just kinda exposes him to let you just kind of feel like he's, you know, not much more than sort of a lackey for Shane McMahon. I feel like you could have accomplished this with uh, a a greater number. Like you could have had Jinder Mahal in this role. And I think it would have been fine for Jinder. It might've even elevated Jinder to be honest. I, but I think for Drew, we haven't really heard him talk at all. Hopefully. I mean, you know, he's got a match with Roman coming up next, which I I'm sure the world is excited for, but for me to be con- kind of conditioned to to seeing him as like Shane's lackey, his muscle, I just don't know. I feel like he's beyond above that. I could I could see Drew winning this battle royal on Friday. Sure, whatever. Who cares? I mean, well, you think I they'll think follow it's... up on that? Well, it's better to win the battle royal than just be another guy in the battle royal. And when you look at it, like, we don't even know who's in this thing. Um, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of the main talent is either not on this show, hurt, or they're in singles matches. So I don't even know how you're going to make up 50 guys here. I mean, they've got to just be calling people. I'm sure there's going to be people from NXT. Like, how are you going to – I'm sure there will be people working double duty as well. But, man, mm. I don't even know where you get 50 bodies to put in this thing. They've announced, like, 10 people tops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe a bunch of agents in the back. Put on some trunk. I'm going to freeze frame that first shot. I, I wonder if we're even going to have 50 people. Who's going to audit them on it if not me? Wikipedia, I'm sure somebody will, will start counting. But yeah, yeah. That's, I guess, part of the um, part of the intrigue of Friday's show. Next was the number one contenders match involving Charlotte Flair, Carmella, and Alexa Bliss. And Corey Graves said, wouldn't it be historic if Raw performer Alexa Bliss were to get a title shot against a SmackDown women's champion? That would be historic. Yeah. Yes. We'll go right down in the history books. The time our, our stupid brand split was at its utter weakest. Bliss hit a code red onto Charlotte Flair. Carmella broke it up. And this was the beginning of a lot of pinfall attempts and saves made. Um, Tom Phillips said that Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss are the two winningest women of our era. Is that true? Define winningest. Best, Best record. Would it be most wins or would it be percentage of wins? Because Ronda Rousey lost one match. I, I would assume maybe record then. Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville came down, and I guess they've got an issue with Carmella. I, my, I, I have no recall of this, but I'll take their word for it that this has been 
going on. Flair took a hurricane run off the turnbuckle by Carmella after a commercial break. Then we had a spot where Flair clotheslined Carmella, applied the figure eight, and then Alexa came off the top with a twisted Bliss onto Flair, and Carmella broke up the cover. Uh, Bliss then missed a moonsault, injuring her knee, got hit with the natural selection. Carmella breaks that up. Then Carmella is booted off the apron by Flair. Flair then kicks Alexa's bad knee that was hurt on the moonsault. Carmella then super kicks Flair, but Mandy and Sonya take Carmella and grab her. And this allows Alexa to capitalize and hit a DDT pinning Carmella. History will be made at stomping grounds when a raw performer will challenge for a SmackDown title when Alexa Bliss takes on Bailey. Yeah, wow. Tacoma. So much history in that city for this company. Uh, yeah, it'll be amazing. It'll uh, be a day we'll all remember. Um, I thought the match was much better than either woman's match on Monday. It's oh, good. good Jeez, way. Your, your, your praise is just uh, I'm getting drunk off of it. It's good to see Alexa in ring again. Although every time I see her in there now, I, I feel like I worry a lot more. Um, Alexa versus Bailey. I can't, I, it's a feud that's still really fresh on my brain and not fresh in a good way because I just think about the endless feud that these two had on Raw like maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago. And I just don't clamor to see that match again. Um, it also tells me like, are they really that short of challengers or smack on SmackDown? Well, it seemed that they were going in the direction of Bailey and Charlotte. Um, after Money in the Bank, but then we had all the the Lacey Evans detour, so I don't know what is happening there. Charlotte doesn't seem like she has anything now. Like Becky seems to be tied with Lacey. Uh, Bailey they, has. I bliss. mean, they could they could do a three way, another one. Then I would have. Uh, I guess Charlotte can make the argument she wasn't pinned, but I don't know. There wasn't really much uh, focused upon Charlotte at the end of this, so I don't know what they're doing with Charlotte. Well, they can make history with her challenging for a Raw Women's Championship. Oh, God. And then she could be a 10-time champion. Do it all in a month. They recap Brock's attack on Seth Rollins from Raw. And then Kayla is in the ring and brought out Lars Sullivan. And the crowd is immediately chanting boring. And they put this guy in. Are they chanting boring or Goldberg? Uh, This sounded like boring. Okay. Um, Kayla asks him, what drives you? To do what you do. And Lars responded. Would you ever ask a nightingale. Why they sing their sweet song. And I want everyone to remember that line. That here is our monster. The guy. 24 hours ago I said how there's one prototype. That Vince McMahon can still accurately do. And that's the monster. And if this guy goes on to be a, a huge star for them. His first words on the main roster. Was a hypothetical question about a nightingale singing their sweet song would you ever ask a lion why they methodically stalk their prey before sinking their teeth in flesh and viciously ripping it apart which is hilarious because when i was at the grocery store i had this exact same conversation with a person in real life and sullivan says he is no man He's been described by one word his entire life, and he gets Kayla to say it. Freak. He asks when a lion performs its primary function, 
They call it a lion. When I perform my primary function, they use that word. His primary function is to hurt, maim, dissect, and vivisect, and dehumanize people. Have you ever vivisected someone way? Have you, ever, have you ever used that word ever in 35 years on this earth? Well, I'm not a freak, John, so I don't talk like them. Lars and Alistair Black in high school would be quite the, um, quite the pair. Yeah. Vivisect. They'd be really popular in a existentialism class or something. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it would be quite the, quite the class. He is here to show all the people the world is not full of rainbows and sunshine. It's full of pain and suffering and people like him. And he calls the Lucha House Party the three blind mice. Watch how they run. Watch how they're caught. Watch how their tails are ripped apart with my bare hands and a beautiful portrait is painted with their bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. If, if you want me to isolate a three-minute clip and me to explain to someone, why can't you just get stars over? I'm going to show this three minutes. Well, listen, you and I talked about how they, they seem to be going away from sort of like the smart monster, like the Professor Hulk, if you will, um, Lars Sullivan character that they've been kind of cultivating in NXT. And this kind of showed that they, they are still sticking with that character. He's not just a monster, but a monster with a voice and a monster with, with a vocabulary. Um, I didn't dislike it. I mean, I feel like it's an interesting first promo that sets him apart from, you know, Braun Strowman, who I guess is just a dumb monster. Um, and, and you know, all uh, Brock Lesnar, even. Uh, it was It's a tough promo to deliver, and I thought he did it well. I will say I thought it was incredibly daring. And you can look into this or you can not, but the fact that they crafted a promo for Lar Lars Sullivan complaining about being called a slur was just, <laughs> again, you know, I guess daring, you know. is The, the way he let it hang about I've been called this this word my entire life and they just let it sink. It's like they almost waited for the the audience to think of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost feels like too like coincidental to, to not be deliberate, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. But as far as like, you know, I don't, I don't dislike it. I thought it added still to his mystique and, and kind of sets him apart from your other monsters. Well, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to admit it. Apollo Crews and Andrade didn't even get started. Andrade just beat the shit out of him. Hit the hammerlock DDT, prompting Finn Balor to run down. They fought. Andrade got the advantage after Zelina Vega distracted Balor, and Andrade hit him with the hammerlock DDT. So they had about two minutes to build up this match for Friday, and that's what we got here. I mean, I forgot that this match was happening, and I wonder if the producers of the show did as well, because this kind of felt like... Oh shit, guys! This match is happening. Um, can we like fit two minutes into the show for these guys? And that's guys, we've totally vivisected this program with these two. Is that what that means? <laughs> anyway, i i found I find this to be like pretty much the laziest excuse for a demon <laughs> appearance ever. Like they 
for for how much they protected this gimmick, you know, like I feel like the the guy kind of went like a year without using it at one point, like multiple WrestleManias where where it didn't appear. It's been a pretty big letdown anytime it has appeared. I thought at Mania it made zero difference. Um, here it means nothing as well. So why hold off on it at all? Why not just do it every pay per view? Finn Balor. Well, it depends if he wants to win or not. Sometimes he's not up for it. This one, uh, though, is that important? Well, <laughs> you talk about not having enough time for everything. What we did need to make time for was a recap of the Balls promo from Monday. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Hunter and Hunter still has balls on Tuesday on SmackDown. Bill Goldberg does his big entrance and got a big pop coming out. Uh, no pyro here, although I'm sure he's going to get a, a ton of it on Friday. Everyone's chanting for him. Uh, this was the biggest reaction on the show. He says he's been waiting over 20 years to experience what it would be like to face The Undertaker. And Taker doesn't want to share. He doesn't want to face the family man. He wants the ass kicker that went 173-0. And Bill agrees. He doesn't want to have the family man anywhere near Undertaker. So he, he, he left his ass at home. And he's going to get the Goldberg that he's been watching for 20 years give or take a few years in in between there of some breaks. And he said, you're next to rest in peace. And then the lights went out, the undertaker's music hit. And then standing in the ring, the super smash brothers (laughs) taker is standing there. Uh, It's all dark, um, but you can see the two Goldberg turns around and he's laughing and the crowd starts chanting, holy shit. And then the lights go out again, and uh, Hocus Pocus disappears, and Goldberg is left alone and tells The Undertaker to bring his jock strap and tighten it up because yeah. I'm going for the balls. <laughs> I was like, what is with the theme of this super showdown? It's like everyone Shit. is going, like, is the all-male pay-per-view just, this is, this is where we're going to get out every testicular reference we possibly can in our promos. Vince just loves balls, man. Like, balls. Named a jock strap. Yeah, named a pay-per-view after him. Like, he just loves. Bro, go out there. Kick Seth. Kick balls. him low. Kick yeah. him in the balls. Yeah, so. And then Bill says it's going to be a hell of a ride. And I'm looking at the clock, and it is 9.56. And Bill's done. He is up the ramp. He is gone. And they just filled here. They went through the entire matchup boards. Then they showed a replay of... The stare down with Goldberg and Taker. And then the match, the show just ended off the replay. So I think that this promo ended short. That would be my guess. But, man, watching this, say what you will about doing this match at this time. I do feel if if you had done it on a on a show that people were really invested in and this had a longer build, I think this is a match people would be into. But I don't sense yeah. that for this Friday. I agree. I think I think you know if this was like a WrestleMania thing, uh, nostalgia act in the middle of the show. I think it would have done fine, just like you know Goldberg versus Lesnar uh, did fine. Um, yeah, you know it's. It, I thought he sounded fine, like Goldberg. We had really not seen that long ago, but he still looked and sounded like Goldberg here. Taker still looks and sounds like Taker in ring. Will be a different question, um, but it, at this point, a Taker. Both Taker and Goldberg, their gimmicks are really just their entrances, and then their finishing moves, and this—that's all this match needs to be. This like, is going to be six minutes. Yeah. I think. No, man, I think it should be less. 
Honestly, it couldn't be less if you wanted. Like just, I, I think you're getting like Undertaker Cena at last year's WrestleMania. That kind sure. of presentation. Like I mean, including entrances, it'll probably be like a good twenty, perhaps or fifteen or something. You know, but that's all these people want to see. That's all I think anybody wants to see is just these guys be their characters. I don't need a full back and forth battle between these two lasting twenty minutes. I think I don't think anybody wants that. But um, I. I also, uh, I think coming out of this promo, I found it really cute that, like, after Taker disappeared a second time, Goldberg kind of, like, looked at the spot where Taker was as he <laughs> cut the rest of his promo, almost as if, as if he's talking to, like, invisible Taker right now. <laughs> he's just talking to the invisible man. And also the idea that, like, the Undertaker wears a jock strap is really amusing to me. Like where did where did they get jock straps in hell? He's got to he's got to protect his tombstones. <laughs> anyway, my favorite part. I'm sorry. I'm so checked out. Like with with this program. Like I was just focusing on everything but like <laughs> the actual angle. Goldberg goes back up onto the ramp, and first thing he does, he <laughs> spots a little girl in the front row, goes to hug her, and this little girl wanted no part of touching this bald, sweaty man. It felt. Very uncomfortable and very, very amusing. Oh, I missed that part. I just, uh, he got to the top of the ramp and he did his big roar. Yeah, he's good at that. Anyway. That was SmackDown. Yeah. Did did you enjoy the show more than Raw or was it comparable? Without question. I think for one thing, they delivered on what they promised. Um, At the beginning of the show, we got to see Bill Goldberg. It was not... uh, (laughs) You know, imagine Psych. that. It's Gilberg. <laughs> uh, I see. I would love that, but you know, not, not only did they deliver on Goldberg, they also gave you the bonus of Undertaker as well. So it kind of left you, at least, it left me a little less infuriated. Um, not that I believe in in the Brock thing anyway, but just the idea that they would even do that to their audience who did believe it. Um, I think it's shitty. I thought this show also had slightly better wrestling. Um, Angles that, you know, didn't make me completely want to quit um, my job and uh, <laughs> rethink my life entirely. Not. So, yeah, I would say it was an improvement. What do you think? <laughs> um, your review was basically, I want to continue living after watching this show. So that's kind of your bar now. So you've set it very low. Um I thought it was a fine show. I think that there were individual parts that that I enjoyed. Um, I I do think sometimes we we try to like, I think sometimes we we like just prop things up uh, to be, you know, especially something that's okay suddenly becomes oh that was good. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, we're coming off of like anyway. I I I did think the Goldberg Undertaker thing worked at at the end for. you know, regardless of, you know, this show on Friday that I'm not looking forward to watching in the least. But in terms of an angle, I, I thought they did a good job with that. I really enjoyed the Kofi stuff at the beginning. Um, that that part I liked. Uh, did not care for the Lars Sullivan promo. Um, not a killer, but it's not. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think that that's the way I didn't like it in NXT and I don't like it here. So that's one consistency from NXT of the main roster that I haven't been a big fan of. Um yeah, beyond that, I mean, it was it it went by for a, for a two hour show. I I really can't complain too much. I thought the pacing was was fine. Women's match was uh, certainly better than anything we saw on Monday night. So and a historic title match that we get coming out of it. So man, why am I complaining? 
the yeah. board, the forum, gave this one a 4.31. Better than Monday, but still <laughs> pretty bad for SmackDown. Yes, the the less of a failure. Mike from Minnesota. I will start off positive. I enjoyed the Goldberg taker part of the show. I still think there is money to be made with Goldberg. I agree with Mike there. In the future, if they ever decided to use him more. Now the bad. Either have a damn brand split or don't. Either way, I do not care. But do not call it a brand split. Then toss out a silly wild card rule and then ignore the damn rules of the wild card. Half the people on the show tonight were from Raw. And now a Raw talent is going for the SmackDown women's title. None of this makes any sense and is getting more and more hard to spend five hours a week on. Should we attempt a tally? Oh, I when when I saw the people out for the lumberjack match, I I didn't try. Were there, there were there were raw people. Yes, I believe so. Oh, okay. Paul and, from- and be, beyond that, we had. I know there were four at least. We had revival, uh, um, Alexa, Zane. Zane, and Drew. Drew, yeah. Okay. Paul from New Jersey says. He's got a little skit between Byron and Corey. Right, Skits uh, don't always work. Yeah, The wild card has really killed <laughs> off the product for me. These shows now consist of the same eight people getting airtime while everyone else is either eating, catering, or chasing R-Truth. Way to destroy your mid-card. If the 24-7 title is ruining R-Truth's life, why does he want to win it back? Why would Alexa be challenging for the SmackDown women's title? If I continue to watch these shows on a weekly basis, am I the asshole? Hopefully, this will get better after the Saudi Blood Money show. However, if it doesn't, I think I'm just going to stop watching live and listen to the sweet sounds of Pollock and the Cowboy. Positives. <laughs> Alistair Black's promo have been much better. They are much more coherent, and you can understand what he wants. He's bored, lonely, and wants somebody to play with. Easy enough. I don't think Lars Sullivan sounded half bad. Not to mention, he didn't say anything racist, so there's that. <laughs> okay, that's the bar. Uh... Andrew from Cape Breton. So it's always fun to see how many people they do with the wildcard rule. They have actually done four a few times, but it's mostly five. Tonight, the rule has been beaten into powder and snorted up like it was WWF in the 80s. Twelve people from Raw were on tonight. If by some weird reason you don't want to count the 24-7 guys, there were still five people. I guess if you include the revivalist too. Uh, what sucks is it's hard to get into a show when the logic of the show is just destroyed on a regular basis. They're half pregnant with this brand split. Then we have the Lars Sullivan interview in which he said that his primary purpose is to dehumanize people, which was the highlight of the night. Ugh. I also yeah. I also like how he hates the use of certain words and how they offend him. This show was a mess. Yeah, like when when you when you hear it like that, <laughs> like they they really did paint the Lars Sullivan promo um, to really. Um, make it almost impossible not to compare to um, all, all the all the shit that went down with this guy over the last while. Mm-hmm. Joey from Queens isn't a slideshow presenting you the matches to a card funded by Saudi government war criminals. Such a fitting way to end a comp t- contemporary episode of weekly WWE programming. There is absolutely zero heart to anything on WWE's television, and I felt like I was back in. Organic chemistry in college. The only notable parts of the show was the addition of my near and dear allies to the loser locker room and Alexa Bliss executing a very subpar Canadian destroyer. Maybe she needs to give Dustin Rhodes a call. Everything else was a stock, uninspired episode of SmackDown. Perhaps I'm being harsh on this episode specifically, but I'm so fed up with this presentation of WWE, it's driving me crazy. I canceled the network and will watch vicariously through you gentlemen for the foreseeable future. Overall grade 3 out of 5. 
MJ, I fast forward the first hour and a half of this show. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. If, he, if Bill Goldberg is so promotable and such an attraction, why don't they use him more? Um, well, because he probably costs money and he is limited, you know. Uh, he goes on to say, didn't get to leave this feedback last night, but I'm getting to watch the Raw segment again on SmackDown. Watching Orton and Hunter has made me clamor for Orton and Cody. That match today in an AEW environment with the legacy backstory and where their careers went would be fascinating. I thought Goldberg missed a chance to say Taker shouldn't bring the version that lost to Brock and Roman at WrestleMania, but bring the 21-0 version. In response to the Family Man line and Goldberg mentioning his streak, otherwise, cool segment, and Goldberg was way better than I expected live. There's money to be made with Goldberg KO again, Goldberg Roman, and Goldberg AJ. Man, I mean, I don't disagree that there's money to be made with Goldberg in particular. Like, even if you want to do Goldberg Lars Sullivan, I think that kind of like, you know... um, yeah, but do people really want to see Goldberg like pinning guys like Kevin Owens in two minutes again or AJ Styles? I, I wouldn't put him against those guys. I think that there's a program with Roman Reigns that you could do. Um, I, I think that that could be like like a really big match that you could build up. And, sure. and Goldberg could lose that match. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're going to put him in a situation with, with like a Kevin Owens. Like Kevin Owens has just fallen to a level now. Like I don't think that's even worth it. We got uh, Alex in Portland who says I have to give WWE kudos. Our truth being twenty four seven champ is for the best. If he broke Ric Flair's record, but with this title, I'd be into that story. I'm curious to see who wins between Goldberg and Taker. Even more curious to see how agile the match will be. Question, the 24-7 title seems to be attracting a certain clientele. Who do you think will be the first prominent person to win the 24-7 title? It wouldn't surprise me if Lars Sullivan won it in a few months. I hope not, because if you're if you're going serious with anybody, that's just the mark of death now, that you're not to be taken seriously. So I, I, I don't see anyone serious having that title. Me neither, because I think whoever... I mean, it's a comedy belt, and whoever touches it is basically, I think, relegated to, to that role also remember they have to lose it and they're probably going to lose it to our truth again. So who can afford a loss to our truth? It's like the opposite of what a title should be where winning it elevates you to a level. This one takes you down to a level. I think it means a lot for guys like Drake Maverick. Um, it elevates, I guess people like him, but no, for him, it's even, it's the chase, right? Like it, I think it'd be downgrade even for like Cedric Alexander to win it. So, Did you see Cedric Alexander today? He, I believe, he tweeted out, "I missed two hundred five live." Oh boy, yeah. I'm wow. sure. I'm sure Buddy Murphy does too. Yeah, there's another guy. All I right. mean, he should be grateful he's not a part of these, though. It tells me that they at least want to save him C- for something. Cedric? No, no, Cedric, no. Buddy Murphy. Oh, okay, because Cedric is part of these. I know. Yeah, Buddy Buddy Murphy's just you know doing live events. I think. Brandon from New Jersey is going to close this out. My dearest Domdadas, hello, mi amigos. A pleasure and salutations. Great to be back. Better late than never, but never late is better than a wise man. But hey, I hope Way is in better spirits. Dude seemed a little tweaked. Nah, mean, John. Anywho, SmackDown was interesting to set up that Crown Royal shit show on Friday. The Goldberg flop sweat. Is that what we got to look forward to when we get older? Take her face off was cool. Other than that, A... Kofi is a god in Ghana. I dig it. Mandy Rose has her diesel in Sonya. Okay. Meanderings. 
Shane's growl sounds like Hank Kingsley from the Larry Sanders show. Way, I'm deeply sad how angry you were last night. Here is hoping you are in better spirits. I've had a lot of people uh, expressing concern. I'm fine, everybody. Thanks. John, was the Ruiz knockout of Anthony Joshua a game changer for DAZN due to the traffic the fight got after the fact? Wait, did you hear about the this big upset over the weekend? I have, yes. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that there is going to be a lot of curiosity in this guy's next fight, especially if it's a rematch with Anthony Joshua. So I don't know if this is just doom and gloom everyone has cast uh, heard, upon the boxing world. I think, I, like, I've heard so many people talking about this, and I'm not, like, a diehard boxing follower, but I follow it casually. I've heard a lot of people blame Drake, actually, for the loss because he oh. posted a photo with Drake. Um I don't know if you're familiar with the Drake curse, John. Yes. So he posted up. Um, I'm actually not. I totally lied to you. Okay. Anyway, so (laughs) apparently, (laughs) like, people believe that Drake is just bad luck for whoever he supports. And uh, I believe Anthony Joshua posted up a photo with Drake saying that he will be the one to break the curse. And evidently he did not. So Drake. Did Drake go to WrestleMania in uh, New Orleans before the Lesnar match? Who knows? Maybe he was wearing an Undertaker shirt that day. I don't know. Uh, He has two more points here. Uh, The Athletic getting into MMA. Thoughts? Also, with those guys leaving their old spots, does it open up new spots for writers to work full-time covering the sport? Have you followed this at all, Way, about what The Athletic is doing? Yes, yes. I mean, this is interesting following, I think, our discussion on... um... Uh, with uh, Toronto Mike talking about The Athletic. Yeah, so I think everyone knows The Athletic. It's a subscription-based uh, sports site, and now they are introducing an MMA vertical, and they made their announcements on Monday of their lineup uh, of writers and reporters, and it's going to feature Josh Gross, who I, I'm super happy for that guy, that he is now going to be able to cover MMA full-time. Um, and to me, He wasn't just- before? Not full time. No, he's oh, he's wow. been doing just minimal uh, MMA stuff, and it's not been full time that he's been uh, covering it. So uh, I'm very happy for him. Uh, Chuck Mindenhall, who's a fantastic writer. Uh, ben Folks is part of it. Chad Dundas, uh, Sean El Shadi. It, it's an all star. It's an all star. It, it's it's a really great lineup of of guys that they have there. Uh, and to Brandon's next question, yeah, I think that it it does open up. Uh, more it's it's obviously more job opportunities in MMA because I think now MMA fighting MMA junkie they're going to be hiring people to replace uh, the outgoing reporters and writers and I think that it's I, I think it's definitely a unique time in the MMA space you have ESPN really diving into their coverage now and the hirings that they have made uh, from Ariel Hawani to Mark Ramondi and you know kind of beefing up their coverage on their site that. You know, there's certainly been a period where I think it was uh, a lot of jobs were disappearing in the MMA media space. And I think that this is at least uh, curbing that somewhat that and and also it's interesting to hear from a lot of these writers that are going to the athletic and talking about the fact that they were doing some work that I mean, it's the reality of running a, a website that is based solely on on advertising dollars and having the right stories that are not as fulfilling for some of these guys. And now you're going to a subscription-based website where you don't have that pressure of having to just rely on advertising. And it made a big difference for these people that, that joined that kind of model. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly happy for everybody, and I hope it's a, it's a success. Um, you know, uh, our friend Jeremy Botter actually recently opened up his own um, subscription uh, news outlet for MMA, and I understand he's been doing very well with that. So, you know, John and I are, are, are I think, some of the very fortunate uh, two who um, are able to make a full-time living off of the support of our audience and um Certainly, I hope all the talent that's involved with the athletic MMA are able to do the same. And his final thing here, way, TikTok, TikTok, August 11th in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This is what you call a <laughs> paradigm shift. Oh, wow. Oh, so, my goodness. So is Brandon from New Jersey promising to make the trek? And not only that, but this time, letting us know who he is coming up to talk to us before we take the stage so that we can actually point him out in the audience. Cause last time he did it very covertly. He did it after we were done. He was just, you know, I think for a guy who talks a big game, Brandon back, let's see you back it up. Damn. It sounds like the challenge has been laid out by way. Come introduce yourself. Brandon from New Jersey, August the 11th. There's your main event. All right. Uh, so thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, this is a fun show. We covered quite a lot of ground in this. I like I like this format we went through today. Good. We can do it again tomorrow. All right. Well, we're going to be back with the double shot. Uh, what what are you planning to discuss? We're going to do a review of the best of the Super Junior show. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about that. I think we should also talk about some of the WWE Network's offerings this past week. Two very interesting ones in the Triple H mini documentary covering his week. Uh, during WrestleMania and basically a look into his schedule and all the stuff he does. Uh, and then Ronda 24-7, that came out yesterday as well. So at least those two things we'll talk about. Okay, so all of that will be on the double shot. If you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, uh, you get that show. And we do multiple bonus shows each week. And Wednesday as well, the full Jeff Merrick interview will be going up again for patrons uh, that checked out... Uh, portions of that interview in the Owen Hart documentary. I also want to give a quick plug to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash post wrestling. If you're listening on our YouTube channel to this show right now, uh, please subscribe. And uh, YouTube will also be the place where we'll be live streaming our Super Showdown post show this Friday afternoon as soon as that show is done. And that will be available for everybody. So subscribe to youtube.com slash post wrestling. All right. Check that all out and we'll speak with you on Wednesday night.